from all of us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City and the Graceful Truth radio program. Greetings in Christ and happy Resurrection Sunday. As we celebrate the risen Lord today, it is our hope and prayer that you are finding great encouragement and enthusiasm in the grace of God in Christ. Join us. Graceful Truth is next. It's something that should emanate and does emanate from most pulpits on every Sunday, a look at the gospel. But today, uniquely, we celebrate this gospel as we celebrate the risen Lord. Resurrection Sunday is what we're looking at here today on this edition of Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Welcome and again, Happy Easter. It's our hope and prayer you'll spend some time joining us today as we take a look at this marvelous grace God has given us in His Son, Jesus Christ. The cross just two, three days ago reminded us that sin needed to be dealt with. The empty tomb that we celebrate today reminds us that God was satisfied with how our sin was dealt with. Please join us for that marvelous truth as we explore it next. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. You can turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, when you, you entered here this morning, I made these little things up for you, the power of the nail. And, you know, as you hold this thing in your hand and you feel the, the sharpness of that, and, and, you know, the one that Jesus was crucified with was probably maybe an inch or inch and a half longer than this, maybe a little heavier weight, not as refined, obviously. Um, but there, are, I put on the, the, the scripture verse there, Colossians 2, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. And he took it away, nailing it to the cross. We don't want to forget the message of Resurrection Sunday is that there is life after death, that truly we can experience a whole new way of life if we yield our hearts and our lives to our risen Lord, because he did nail all our iniquities, all of our sin. He took it all upon himself and he nailed it to a cross. And as that video so clearly portrayed at the end, it is what? Finished. It's finished. Our salvation isn't something we have to work for. Christ paid the price. He did the work. And today, as we gather as believers, the one thing in our, in our minds is, is most likely, hopefully, not Easter candy or the Easter bunny or, or all that. Or they don't even call it Easter bunny anymore. They call it the spring bunny. And, and you know, they have, they, have, they have spring egg hunts and all this, you know. I mean, it's just kind of odd. But this chapter, in chapter 15, when Paul wrote this, it's almost entirely devoted to doctrine, this chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And it's even more than that. It's, it's just one doctrine that he wants to get across to us in chapter 15. And in those 58 verses, Paul basically gives extensive treatment as you read through those on your own, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the truth of that. And just as you're sitting here today and blood is flowing through your, your heart and hopefully it's pumping and, and you're alive here this morning. If you're not, let us know. We'll call 911. But that heart is pumping blood to every part of your body. The truth of the resurrection really gives life to every part of the gospel. Without the resurrection, there would be no gospel truth. The resurrection is kind of the, the pivotal point in all of Christianity. Without it, none of this would matter. 
we could go home. Toss our Bibles in the fire and go home. If Christ had not risen, it wouldn't matter. It just wouldn't. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be just basically wishful thinking at best. And it would take, it, take its place alongside of, of the other human philosophies and religions of the world. But the resurrection was the focal point of every other truth Christ taught. Every other truth that Christ taught, he always focused on the resurrection. Stop and think about it. You don't have to turn there, but in Mark 8, 31, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, what? Rise again. That's what Jesus said. John eleven twenty five. He says, I am the what? The resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. You think of the two sermons preached after Pentecost, both of them focused in the book of Acts, both of them focused on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that truth, the followers of the crucified rabbi were, were turned into courageous witnesses. Remember when they crucified our Lord, they scattered. They didn't want anything to do with it. They thought they were going to be next, but they ended up being martyrs. Why? Because the resurrection is true. And it helped spread the gospel across the total Roman Empire and even beyond. See, if you have belief in the resurrection, the truth that this life is only a kind of a, a prelude to what's to come, for those who trust in Jesus Christ, that's a good thing. For those who don't put their faith in trust, that's not too good of a thing. The Bible speaks of a place called hell, an everlasting torment removed from the presence of God as just punishment for their sin. But when you embrace Christ, when you come to Christ and you say, be merciful to me, a sinner, God reaches down and he transforms your rocky heart into a heart of flesh. True New Testament Christianity is a religion of the resurrection. And the apostles knew that. That's why they didn't fear or dread death. They embraced it because they knew the hope and the joy and the assurance of the life to come. One British philosopher, the 18th century philosopher John Locke said this, Our Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity. So great that his being or not being the Messiah stands or falls with it. See, you can't say, well, I don't believe the resurrection, but I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Those truths can't stand. If he's the Messiah, then the resurrection is true. Because it's the cornerstone of the gospel that we believe. The resurrection has been the target of Satan's greatest attacks from the very beginning. Think about it with me. If the resurrection is eliminated, the life-giving power of the gospel is eliminated. And the deity of Christ is eliminated. Salvation from sin is eliminated. And eternal life is eliminated. We read this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, in other words, there's no afterlife. You just die and rot in the grave and that's it. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote. If Christ did not live past the grave, beloved, those who trust in him surely cannot hope to do so. Without the resurrection, salvation could not have been provided for us from our sin. And without belief in the resurrection, salvation can't be received. Romans 10.9 says this. If you're here this morning and you've yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ, here's the gospel plain and simple. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. In other words, if you agree with God that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, not in your head, but in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, that verse says, you shall be saved. See, the problem is most people don't realize that they need to be saved. There's not a person in this auditorium today that has never sinned. 
we have all sinned in a myriad of ways. If we could look at our neighbor and see the darkness of their heart and the sins that they've committed, you'd probably move over a couple seats. And we're all in that predicament. We all have that same propensity to sin. And we have that penalty hanging over our heads. And until we put our faith and our trust, until we confess with your mouths the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that he died for our sins and he raised him from the dead, that's how we're saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal judgment. Just judgment from a holy God. It's not possible to be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. You know, I, I've heard some professors and other people, they, they question that. And they, they're, you can tell they're just religious people. Their, their faith is empty. And see, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul deals with not so much the resurrection of Christ. He's not trying to tell them about that, or however, it's all over the page. But he's trying to help them out with their confusion about their own resurrection. See, Paul wasn't trying to convince them that Christ rose from the dead, but he was trying to convince them that one day they too, if they have their faith in Christ, would be raised with him to eternal life. And he wanted to lay a foundation for that. So the first 11 verses of chapter 15 lay that foundation. They talk about the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, a truth that he acknowledges they already believe. He says in verse 1, moreover, what? Brethren, I preach to you a gospel which you've already received. But they had a problem translating that into their practical Christian life. See, it's easy to believe Jesus rose from the dead, and it's easy to believe that somehow he wants us to live for him every day and all that. But when you stop and you think that we were raised with Christ from the dead, it kind of helps. Paul wants to put things in perspective for these folks. It's not about this life, beloved. It, this life doesn't matter. What matters is where you're going to be in the next life. That's what truly matters. And he wants them to understand that, hey, great, do all you can to live out your Christian life here. But don't forget that, that you're going to be living in eternity. Because I don't know about you, but this world tends to gobble us up. Pretty soon our priorities are all out of whack and we're doing things that God's probably up there shaking his head. What are you spending time doing that for? Don't you know that my kingdom is an eternal kingdom? It doesn't matter how fancy a job or how fancy a car you have or how much you make or, you know, what kind of house you have and all this stuff how many vacations you go on, that doesn't matter. Are you living for today? Are you living for eternity? That's what God wanted them to understand. And so he gives them five evidences or testimonies for the resurrection. First of all, he presents the church and then he presents the scriptures. We're not going to win all these. I'm just kind of giving this as an overview. He presents the eyewitnesses. He presents a special witness, the apostle himself. That's why he says he was an apostle born out of due time. All the other apostles lived during the time of Christ. Well, the apostle Paul didn't. Jesus was long gone to heaven when he was on the scene. But we read in scripture that Jesus Christ himself came down and made a special appearance to him on the road to Damascus. And he was converted miraculously. You're talking about a guy who used to persecute the church. Saul was his unsaved name. When he, when he got saved, they called him Paul. And he used to go around and execute Christians for the fun of it thinking that he was doing his religious duty as a Pharisee, as a Jew, and he thought this is what these people are in opposition to what we believe, just exterminate them. He was at the stoning of Stephen. I mean, you think you got it bad. This guy was actually murdering Christians. And sometimes we forget that God reaches down in his grace and digs down deep in the mud and muck of this world and pulls out a jewel for himself. Sometimes we question that. We don't believe that. I don't know about you, but I've met people... And I've talked to him, and I've walked away going, that person never gets saved. <laughs> that guy's as hard as you can be. I mean, he's as evil as you can be. But you know what? God can save him. God can transform his heart. He did with the Apostle Paul. 
And throughout history, all these movements and all these factions, a lot of them have tried to deny the resurrection of Christ. But Christianity has always affirmed the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. Some ask, well, why is the resurrection so important? One reason is because it gives proof who Jesus said he was. He claimed to be God. He proved this by coming out of the grave. If Jesus wouldn't have come out of the grave, then we could have just said, hey, he was just somebody else. You can go and visit the tombs of all these other religious leaders. And the bones are in there to prove that they died. And I don't care what special they had on TV or who's doing a study or whatever. We thought we found the bones. of They're not the bones of Jesus. Sorry. It's funny how those things come up just around this time of the year, every year. It comes down to this. It comes down to money. Somebody's trying to make a buck, disputing the claims of Christ. Believing in the resurrection of Christ changes the way we think, the way we live, the way we believe, the way we behave. It changes everything about a human being when they embrace that truth. Believing in the resurrection gives new meaning to every area of your life. Every area. And I just want to briefly discuss three of those with you. I wrote down there on the outline how Christ and the resurrection of Christ the impact that it has on our life. The resurrection, first of all, changes the meaning of our faith. He says in verse 17, if Christ had not been risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. It changes the meaning of our faith. See, the problem we have is people today in our society make the mistake that they think religion is kind of like a huge buffet. Anybody here going out to eat at a buffet this afternoon for Easter? Some of you may be, okay. Um, you know, I don't do well at buffets. Just, you know, I, I don't have a big appetite. I mean, I'm hungry, but, you know, one, one trip does me fine. I just, I can't, you know, my, my nephews, if I go out to eat with a buffet, you know, to a buffet with them, I mean, they're, they're there for hours, you know. And I'm just like, are we done yet? Come on, you know. I'm, I just, I can't do that. I just, my, I don't know, my stomach's, you know, just smaller or something. I just fill up pretty quick. It's probably, people say I drink too many fluids when I eat, which is, that's probably why. People make the mistake of thinking that religion is this huge buffet table, and you can pick and choose which beliefs you want, and those you don't find appetizing, well, you just kind of shove those aside, and, oh, I like this, I think I'll pick that. And they, they believe that religion is this, quote, personal thing. Well, that's just personal. I don't want to get into the that each individual can develop or discard according to their own whim, whatever they want to believe. That's okay. Let's just love everybody and love God and God loves everybody and, you know, we'll all go to heaven one day. Beloved, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. Now, as far as religious freedom is concerned, our country honors that. That's true. That's why we can gather here today in Christ's name and praise him. Everyone has a constitutional right to choose whatever they want to worship. And some of the things they choose to worship, let me tell you, are pretty weird. But as far as the truth goes, it's a whole different ballgame. An entirely different ballgame. See, truth is not determined by a matter of your own preference. We seem to forget that. Truth is not determined by a matter of taste or preference. Christianity is not based upon religious whim. Somebody didn't sit down one day, hey, let's make up this story. Okay, here's this guy, Jesus, and, you know, yeah, well, have him do this, and then he'll go to his cross, and then, hey, this is the, the clincher. This would be great. On the third day, he'll actually come back from the dead. That plan was birthed in the heart of God and the mind of God in eternity past before we were ever even around. It wasn't God's backup plan. It wasn't like God was sitting up in heaven looking down on Adam and Eve with how he's blessed them with and going, oh, please, Eve, don't eat that apple. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she eats the apple. 
or fruit. We don't know if it was an apple. It could have been a pomegranate. Who knows? But God didn't look down on that and go, okay, uh, what am I going to do? I didn't plan this. Oh, oh goodness. What? what uh, let's, Jesus, like, how about if I send you down there and, and that would be backup plan B? No, that's not how it worked at all. God knew in the heart of man. He knew everything about us. He knew that whole thing was going to come crashing down before they were even around. And in eternity past, he chose his son to be the sacrifice that had to happen to meet and justify God's righteous judgment against sin. Christianity is not based upon some religious whim. It's based upon the historical fact that Jesus Christ died and was rose from the grave. He conquered death, and that means that he must be who he said he is, the Messiah. And that means he must be able to do what he says he can do, give us eternal life. And that must certainly mean that all of his promises, such as, I am with you always, or I will never leave you nor forsake you, are absolutely true. There was a bishop ordace of the Lutheran church in Hungary, and he was imprisoned for more than six years because he protested communistic oppression. He was placed in solitary confinement in this small cell with no windows. I mean, six years. And his captives were trying to break his resistance, and they kept on depriving him of contact with anybody. Later said, they thought I was alone in that cell, but they were wrong. The risen Christ was present in that room. And in communion with him, I was able to prevail through that torturous ordeal. See, the resurrection gives us assurance that our faith is not just some sentimental wish list. The reality of the resurrection gives substance to our faith. It gives us the ability to face life's toughest challenges with the assurance that God is on our side. And sometimes God dishes out some hard things. Sometimes he he doesn't give us all the answers when we want them. But you know what? The resurrection changes all that. It changes the way we live our lives. Secondly, the resurrection changes the meaning of death. If Christ, verse 18, had not been raised, then those who have died in Christ have perished. I remember as a chaplain, I was called upon to do these two funerals down in the desert. One was, both people were, they were, they were older ladies. Both of them were actually uh, Christians. They were believers. Um, which took a burden off me. I'm thinking, hey, praise God, they're in heaven. But one family, their whole family were believers. And I did that funeral first. And it was in, you know, probably a month's time these two funerals came up. And I remember just thinking, wow, this is such a celebration of life. This isn't like, you know, they didn't have the bagpipes playing and, you know, and all that stuff. I mean, it was a celebration of life. These, they knew this, this woman had gone to be with the Lord. Praise God. And they, they had that faith in their hearts, and so they were celebrating her life and, and just everything that went on. And about a month later, I got called to do another funeral. This lady was a Christian, too, and her pastor was out of town or something and had to do this funeral. Most of her family were not believers. And you, you tell, talk about the difference in the way a funeral goes. I mean, basically, I did the same thing. But by the looks on the people's faces, boy, you, you think that I, I, I preached two different messages one very comforting and one just hard-hitting. They were the exact same thing. But see, the one, the one family didn't know Christ. They didn't have that in their heart. They didn't have the assurance that there's an eternal life after death. Resurrection changes the meaning of death. It changes the way we look at this life. The grieving process for those who knew Christ in that one funeral was much different than the other one. And it, we've all seen that. Those who have a strong faith in Jesus are able to face death their own and even the, the, that of their loved ones. 
much differently than those who just have a marginally religious background. Why do you think that is? Because Christ's resurrection gives a new meaning to death. Do you know that death is not the end? Death is not the end, beloved. It no longer has power over those who put faith and trust in Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul can say in 1555, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death's power has been defeated by the cross, by the resurrection. He also says in 1554 and 1526, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death has been swallowed up in victory. See, because of the resurrection, we know that death is merely a transition from this life into the next. And we take comfort in Christ's promise, I go to prepare a place for you. It's going to be an incredible place. You're not going to deal with weeds and fertilizer. You're not going to deal with any of that stuff. And you know what? He's been working on that place. I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like? Talk about a total makeover. Good night. Because of the resurrection, death is not the end. It's only the beginning. We can embrace that. Last thing, the resurrection changes the meaning of life. In verse 19, it says, If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most pitied. What does he mean by that? We have to understand when Paul wrote this, at the time when professing faith in Christ was very, very dangerous. You just didn't go around back then saying, Hey, I'm a Christian. They'd lop your head off. They'd burn you at the stake. They'd crucify you. That was the day in which they lived. Many Christians back then lived in the threat of death or persecution. In fact, throughout the 2,000-year the history of the church, even up to this very moment, there's countries where Christians are suffering torture, abuse, persecution, mockery, and death because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the risen Lord. And what Paul's saying is if this life is all there is, if Jesus hadn't raised from the dead, if, if this is just ends at the grave, if this is all there is, why would anyone... They would have to be nuts to endure such mistreatment for a cause that was just a poof of air. 20th century American culture, Christians have not lived under the threat of violent oppression. But you know what? That doesn't mean that we don't suffer. That doesn't mean that we're not persecuted. That doesn't mean that we don't experience sacrifice. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what? Will be persecuted. I ask you today, are you being persecuted in some form? For your faith. Saw on Fox News one day a, a gal that had a, she did a report in her college class and she was ridiculed and she was mocked because her stance was based on the fact that she was a Christian and she believed the truths of the Bible. And the professor and the classmates went out of their way to mock her and ridicule her. And that's not an isolated event. Every day there are people, business people, who don't get the promotion, applicants who don't get hired, new neighbors who aren't accepted into the little clique, salesmen who don't get the sale, writers who don't get published, students who don't get a fair grade, athletes who don't get the starting position, actors who don't get the part, politicians who don't get elected, all because they're bold enough to take a stand for Jesus Christ. There's a price to pay for making that stand. Second Timothy says, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you being persecuted? You could also say, all those who are living an ungodly life in Christ will not be persecuted. Are you living for Christ each day with boldness in your heart and passion? See, if there's no resurrection, if this life is all there is, anyone would have to be a fool to allow themselves to even slightly be inconvenienced for the sake of religion. 1532, he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's what our culture tells us. But if in fact Jesus is risen from the dead, that changes everything. And the pain and the sorrow and the persecution and the mistreatment and even the little inconveniences sometimes 
that we have to go through as Christians have special significance. If there's no resurrection, the only logical purpose for living is pursuing our own pleasure. However, if Christ Jesus is risen from the dead, the only logical purpose for living is to follow him and to do what he says to do. Without the resurrection, life is meaningless. Christianity is weak at best. It's a pitiful religion if the resurrection is not true. But the resurrection adds muscle to the Christian theology, the Christian teaching. The resurrection makes our faith real. It gives our life meaning. It's worth living. I pray today that if you're here this morning and you have yet to put your faith, your trust in the risen one, I plead with you, cry out to him. He's there. He'll hear that prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want, to, I want you to deal with my sin. I can't bear this burden any longer. I want to give my life to you. I want to surrender it. I want to yield to you. He'll transform you. He'll change you. The simple beauty of the gospel as we celebrate it together on this Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for joining us here on this special edition of Graceful Truth. It's our prayer that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week, especially here on Resurrection Sunday. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, as always, you're more than welcome to join us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for praise and worship at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children through grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth program, please give us a call. Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-366-9923. Again, that phone number is 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web, gracefultruth.org. Until next week, God bless.